My advice to you, start drinking heavily. Yeah, let's cut to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Saxon Jacks. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures up a buck and a half. NASDAQ Futures up 27 on this July 3rd, which isn't exactly a holiday, but uh, uh, markets are closing at noon, so we're going to act like it's a holiday. Uh, what do you do with these these, uh, comp- these holidays that don't want to move to Monday? But you can't really move the late nation's birthday to Monday. It's what's on the 4th. It's like Christmas, I guess. And uh, but the day off is tomorrow. Although uh, the weekend got off to kind of a, I won't say a rocky start, but sort of a, a wet start uh, with record rainfall. Greg, we, uh, matter of fact, even the, uh, um, how many people are not shot and wounded this weekend because we had a couple of major rain delays. Yeah, they were busy trying to swim out of their cars under the viaducts. Yeah, yeah. When, uh, I stopped uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, tenant issues. Um, you didn't have any water down there, did you? Mm. Uh, downstairs, miraculously, was saved. Upstairs uh, has some sort of a leak right in the middle of the unit. Uh-oh. It's a new roof. Uh-oh. And I never thought we'd have a problem up there. My guess is the only thing it could be, well, without going up there and looking, the only thing it could be is maybe a corner to skylight, so I have to call Tony the roofer today and say, hey, Tony, come check out the roofer, the roof. So, uh, but come check out the warranty. Well, it's been a while. So it's been, uh, as a matter of fact, to get the phone number, I had to power up two phones ago. <laughs> to Yikes. find, find Tony roofer in, in the phone. So, uh, Tony roofer. I'll give Tony a buzz and, uh, come on back. Those guys, check your work. What an amazing operation those guys had. It's, uh, there's a group of uh, dudes, maybe two white guys, four black, four Hispanic. A group of about ten dudes, and uh, they go out and they get they get jobs, uh, you know, roof jobs or garages, whatever they whatever they can do. And uh, and whoever gets the job gets a bigger piece of it. But they all do each other's work. They all do the same job. So it's it's an interesting. <laughs> well, the place I, I live or manage and live. Is uh, it's kind of a weird. It's a three-story walk-up, but then <laughs> the owner put uh, this thing on the top, right? So it's uh, there's actually a, a roof, you know, above the other roof, kind of thing. Uh, what way up there? So it's uh, when they had to put a new roof on, it has it goes like all the way to the sort of all the way to the back, and then there's another one on top. It's kind of weird, but uh, anyway. <laughs> The dudes get there, and it's, it's going to be one of these days where it's like 95 degrees. So they sit in the back, and they have like a little breakfast. 8 o'clock, they fire into action. And in the back, in order to get up there, you have to use this, uh, you get on the porch and have one of these, uh, an extension ladder. I mean, way up, like 20 feet. So the dudes immediately get all the stuff, which is heavy as hell, and just up and down, up and down, up and down. So they, like in an hour, all 10 dudes have hauled like everything they needed up on the roof. And uh, 
which had to be, you couldn't get me up that ladder. Slingshot? <laughs> even, no. even when I was young, I don't know if I'd want to do that. And then all the stuff they tore off, they tore the thing all the way down, right, to the bear, and they had to redo uh, the pitch and the whole bit. Well, they had there's no place in the, in the back for a dumpster, so the dumpster had to be in the street. So they had to throw stuff off the deck onto the uh, ground. There was no chute? No. Well, they just threw it down. Then they put a pickup truck in the alley. Just carried the stuff through the garage, threw the stuff in the pickup truck, drove the pickup truck around to the dumpster and unloaded it in the dumpster. So they 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 touch everything three times. The throwing down. And they were done, except for a couple of touch-ups, they were done in a day. Efficient operators. Yeah, I mean, they, they worked their fannies off. And, and every guy was just beat. Like, this is one I was talking to one dude. And I go, yeah, you guys really... Uh, did a nice job, worked pretty hard. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, you got to just knock it off. He goes, we might have another one tomorrow. And uh, somebody else will get a job. And <clears throat> the guy says, if you go in a garage, pour the concrete, we'll, we'll build a whole garage one day for you. I'm going, okay, then, except I don't necessarily need a garage. <clears throat> I mean, you don't necessarily need one of those every day. But he goes, yeah, we, that's the way we do it. Ten of us, whatever it was, eight, ten, twelve. We says, we all work together. And whoever gets the job, we all kind of hustle in jobs. Whoever gets it. You know, if it was like twelve grand or something, I can't imagine what it would be, wor- be worth now. Um, and uh, he goes, "Yeah, you know, the the, the guy who uh, we all get like a G a piece, and the guy who gets the job gets two or something like that." Bingo. Yeah. And um, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, An efficient crew. Oh yeah, yeah. All, everybody got along. Everybody, you know, nobody was arguing with anybody or anything like that, and you know, pretty well done. But I have to call him back. I, I have a hunch it's a uh, probably flashing around the skylight would be my guess. That's easy enough to fix, but because uh, the rest of it looks fine, right? But I mean, yesterday, I mean, anybody was talking. They got some of the the, the totals are really something. They were eight and a half inches in Berwyn. Cicero was just annihilated. They were talking. Well, my phone was going off all day. Was yours with the flash flood stuff? Yeah, I think everybody in the city was. Yeah. But uh, so there Sunday we had a couple of uh, pictures at Cicero and Lake where the where the car was completely under the water under the train there. Yeah. Well, so. I, Anyway, so I stopped in at the at the triplet last night to pick up the rent from the girl downstairs who can't you know she has a checkbook, she can't um she somehow can't get checks. You're the bookie. Yeah, it's like I'm the bookie and but she has uh so I think she goes to the to the Tripoli and gets the stuff out of the cash machine. But then once every sees her get that much cash out of there, she doesn't want to take it home, so she leaves it at the Tripoli for me. So I go to the bar and they pass me the envelope. I said, you know, you need your taste. Yeah, I said, just just go over to the bank and tell them to order up, you know. I said, plus, or I can get you online and I get you checks for, you know, ten bucks. Plus, they'll make you, they'll run you off twenty at the bank if you want. I don't think my, you know. I yeah, for like twenty bucks. I, I honestly don't get the. Uh, I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm a luddite by paying some bills with checks and stuff, I and mean, most people don't do that and pay to stamp in. But some uh, people don't even take checks anymore, electronic or bust. Um, well, I don't do business with those people, but the, the, I guess the the point is is that um, my niece has the uh, same issue. She's a very nice girl, very bright girl. She goes online and she gets some bank from like Florida or someplace, and so somebody like gives her a check, pays her to do something. I don't know. What she, she did some uh, uh, she does some uh, paralegal work, so she must help somebody doing something. So somebody gives her a check. She says, my brother, what do I do with this thing? She goes, well, you put it in your bank. <laughs> and she has no way, to, no way to put it in the bank. And I'm like, I, if, if there was some, like, thing I don't get, Greg, and I mean, I'm not trying to 
you know, stick old stuff, people's stuff on young people, but there's, there's five banks within walking distance of this office, and she's here two days a week. And every one of them has a free checking account, and every one of them has a real nice banker. There, there's no cost to any of this. It's, it's not like online, it's free, and, if you, and if, you, if you drop a check off at Lakeside, they charge you 10 bucks or anything. I mean, there's nothing like that. So I, I don't get the, the uh, what am I missing here? What, what is the point of not opening up a check at Lakeside, have Fanny run you off 10 checks, and if you ever have to drop a check off, you drop it right there. What, what, what am I missing? Uh, I don't know. I think it's just easier to have everybody else keep your records for you. Well, you do everything they, electronically. You, don't have to, you can do everything electronically through them. But the once once a month or once a year, somebody gives you a check. At least you got a place to go. I mean, you're not saving any money. Is what I mean. It'd be different if the online place was cheaper. They're the same price. Yeah. But I mean, it's cities online. You don't need a place in Florida to have an online. <laughs> ch- do you? <laughs> Maybe it's a credit union. I you know that could be. But there's there's some here in Chicago. It's just kind of an ad. Be you see the way the the city it works. And you know when 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 I was younger, all I cared about is if I was going to go to the race. God, this is cool. But now that I'm older, I sit there and go, how many people are you going to inconvenience? And, and, there's, and there's some, there's always, there's always a price to this. Uh, you know, Greg, when you, if the Bears play, it's inconvenience if you're driving down uh, Lakeshore Drive. The Cubs play, it's an inconvenience if you live across the street, I guess. But, it's so, there, but there's some level We of, talking about NASCAR? Yeah, but, it's, there's, there, but I mean, there's some level of uh, crap other people put up with for events that people like. I mean, I mean, I guess nobody really complains, although somebody probably does somewhere, of the, uh, you know, of the marathon. People are in for the weekend, and all of a sudden on a Sunday, everything's closed, and all these streets in the city, and blah, blah, it makes it hard to get around. But if you look online, you can find out how to get out of the neighborhood and stuff. But by and large, if you're stuck somewhere where everybody's running by, you're stuck. There's some, you know, there, there's some inconvenience for five hours for... Some people, and, and at some point, you know, you say one day a year, it's, it, it, I'm going to say the marathon's worth it. I don't know. Uh, but now this NASCAR thing, this is, a, this is about a four-week operation where you literally can't use the parks. Softball fields are toast. Uh, they get rid of the taste. Oh, man, it was know. real soggy yesterday. Yeah, I'm saying, but, but I mean, I mean, you know, the whole, the whole thing is, it, it, it's, it's a, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 9 in inconvenience. It's not one day. It's not a setup day and then a race day and then the next day. It's, it's, it's been going on. You have to haul those thick concrete barriers yeah, and all out. The, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, and you look at the, the cost of all that stuff, and, and you do and you wonder, who's doing the accounting for this? You know, is it somebody in the city whose three buddies are making money on bleachers and, and uh, portal uh, porta potties and all that kind of stuff? Our, our buddy Greg went on uh, Saturday. Other Greg. Other Greg, and he. Uh, he, you know, he was with a group of people from a company, so he gets in there, and there's there was two levels of, you know, high-end people. The the group below him was the uh, air-conditioned, uh, I use the term skybox, and then above them, that's where those guys were. Uh, it, you know, tables and chairs, high tables, chairs, watching. So it was not out with the schmuck standing in the street or in a bleacher. That was me. Yeah, we were one of the schmucks, and uh, so. He's, they're up there. He says, of course, it's supposed to be tacos and hot dogs. It's just soft drinks. Well, there are no tacos. And they run out of hot dogs like an hour into the thing. He goes, how the hell do you, you have f- six months to plan? How do you run out of hot dogs? They run out of hot dogs. So then they go, by the way, 
these stand these sta- stands are not grounded, and we think there's lightning, so everybody's got to get out of here like instantly. <laughs> right. That so, was that was a big yeah. So everybody issue. has to pile out. He says nobody went back. He says these guys just went back to the hotel and they went back to wherever he came from. They they said the hell on Sunday, and, and then the the uh, concert gets canceled, and there's no rain date on that. Uh, so basically, these tickets were like three bills or four bills. Yeah, with all the fees and such. Yeah, so I mean, now you're just so what? Did you, what I mean, what did you end up with? I mean, I gotta believe you know. They're, of course, they're interviewing the people that you know the kids that love this stuff that come from uh, uh, you know you know the, the NASCAR group is an interesting group. They come piling in, and they you know that was a, probably a pretty neat race. First time it was ever won on a city street, but now it's going to take a week to pull all this stuff out of there. And I would just I just like to think that someday someplace somewhere. There's a full accounting of this that people can go look at, and I'll bet yeah, there it'll is be a, in like three years, and, yeah, and, it, and that'll be after everything's done, yeah, and then there'll be some some numbers. And they'll, they'll find out that you know it, it, the whole thing is you know it's like having a. I think NASCAR said it would bring over a hundred million in activity to oh, the bull, city. Oh, bull, 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 bull. But you know, but at, at what cost? I mean, there's no question that. You, you you do ask yourself what exactly am I paying for? I mean, yesterday they, was <laughs> there was a lot of police and a lot of stuff downtown. Yeah. So that was especially with the flooding going on in other places. I mean, I, I assume the city was extremely busy yesterday. Oh yeah, but I mean, even even little stuff, you you have to ask yourself the question. You know, how how is it run? Who does it? Who benefits? Because I remember festivals in my area. You know, they had one on Webster and then they'd have one on Armitage and then they'd have the what the uh, garden walk where people have the real nice yards you could go walking. Well, at one time they run a festival, and everybody like there were three or four b- bars on the block, and those bars got to have a tent outside in the street. And oh, by the way, you could go in the bar that sort of thing because the bathrooms in the bar and all that stuff. And uh, now the last time they had to think of Armitage, all the all the stuff in the street was somebody that the Chicago Park District hired or allowed, gave a license to. So outside of the Tripoli Tap, there's a beer tent that's not the Tripoli Tap. So you ask yourself, and they ended up doing fine because, of course, it rained. Everybody came inside, and they, and they were mobbed. But the idea is, okay, if you're going let, to... Let's have a festival on, on Greg Street, and, oh, by the way, put a beer tent out in front of his saloon that isn't him. And you go, okay, then. <laughs> I, I guess... If if they get enough people, you're going to get people inside as well, right? But but now other times I've seen it happen where the people on the street got to put the tent out in the street if they wanted to. They had first call. So I mean, who who makes these decisions? I guess is the question. And who are the who are the sneaky beneficiaries of this stuff? Yeah, the, whoever whoever is on the inside. Yeah, That's but you know, it you know and it gets to be the alderman's pals. <laughs> I, knew, I, I knew some guys that uh, used to go to the Taste of Chicago. They had in a couple guys on the trading floor and uh this is a long time ago and they said the absolute best spot was to have something like really simple like really good hot dogs or, or sloppy joes or something that are really easy to make and you want to be right next to remember leanne's you heard that name yeah leanne's ribs well, leanne's ribs was like the hottest one of the hottest ones at the taste he said you wanted to have something less expensive pretty good you know but not off the chart like ribs or something like that and just put, you want to be next to Leon's. Because if all the people waiting in line, they'd say, screw it, that hot dog looks pretty good, we'll just get that. 
These oh, guys, there's these some guys, game theory mixed oh, into yeah, it. These yeah. guys made a fortune for like three years in a row. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> which, which makes all the sense in the world. So one year they did Sloppy Joes. He said, how easy is it to do Sloppy Joes? <laughs> you know, you do 100 pounds of Sloppy Joes. I mean, all you need is a big pot, right? <laughs> Basically. You know, it's not, like, it's not like it's bad stuff. It was good stuff. But uh, you, know, you get a real nice bun and off you go. <laughs> okay, then. I think for for Chicago, at least, you know, if you've got 46,000 hotel rooms or whatever it is and, and NASCAR says they're going to fill 25,000 of them, you say, all right. But then you want to know, did they really? Because I don't think come on 500, hours, 500 hour night hotel rooms is the NASCAR group. Yeah, the, when the Taylor Swift concert was here and that uh, trade show was going on at the same time, that was that was like 600 and $700 a night. Hotel well, rooms. that's what you, I mean, you, you think. <clears throat> I anybody think in the city actually 40, talks to somebody? Full. Yeah, do you think anybody even talks? Where the guy they, they knew that the Taylor Swift was at the same time as something else? I've I've seen them have a massive show at the McCormick Place at the same time they have a bear game or something. I mean, they don't care. I don't think they even talk. <laughs> that would be. They got to be looking at each other's calendars. Well, you would think so. You would. I would. But I don't think. I don't think they care. It, whether whether people are are totally inconvenienced, you couldn't get from one to the other. Yikes! Yeah, I don't think I don't think they care as long as there's people jammed in there. Or, you know, but I mean, you know, I, the uh, I don't think the NASCAR is a six hundred hour night group. Now the groups from like GM and all those other people over here, those guys are. You know, see, you got a, a lot of corporate stuff here. But yeah, that's, they're interested in more so the brand and the, the yeah. corporate stuff than they are. All right. So what happened in uh, last week in the uh, in the commodity world? We got gold not doing so hot. We got oil not doing so hot. Everybody's still bullish on oil, but it doesn't seem to go anywhere. Gold's down again today. Um, we had a few acreage uh, surprises, if you will, that was that was in the uh, food world. Corn they actually planted more than they expected, so corn corn acreage was up and bean acreage was down, and and total acreage was up too. So we had a fairly you know, a, a move down in corn and a move up in beans, and the the move has continued in beans uh, this morning too. So that was interesting. So you now, when you talk about these studies, there's the well, these are just government. Uh, well, well, there's there's a government and there's a private guy too, right? Yeah, the private the private people were looking to the the USDA reports, um, you know, for for estimates, you know, at least last week. Do you have any idea how that's how that's done? I mean, the, the Agriculture Department has people, like, in, what, in every county. And the states have people all over the place, too. So do they use, is there a, a, a guy in, like, you know, Jasper County? Does is, is he go out and do this stuff? Or do they do it by air? Or they do it by, by uh, you know, asking farmers what they did? Or do they actually go up, you know, use a drone and count? Or what? Well, the surveys are required by law. So you, you have to fill them out if you're, if if you're sent one so so the census of agriculture and a couple of other uh, outlooks i mean they they have their own estimates and people who go out and look and and farmers mostly cooperate but in terms of the surveys you're talking about i think uh those those are required okay can't skip out on those so they come up with this estimate and then at what point at some point somebody's going to come out with an average per acre correct yeah they they do uh call it monthly updates and you get your 
estimates of stocks that are in reserve. You get your estimates of what's going to be coming out of the ground. And they, the, what's revised is who's planting what and how much is planted. So after that stuff is, is all known, then you can start speculating about really what's the, what's the result in the average yields and such. So then there's, there's some timing issues with harvest and can, can, right. how much so you, can you, you get, get the market easily in there? Say we up? had maybe three weeks of some insufficient rains, you know, the past, the past month or so, and the, we had some weather that never materialized, and all of a sudden uh, now we get this shortage of beans, or not shortage, but uh, the farmers decided to plant more corn rather than beans, and they planted more corn so the beans the beans uh expectations cuz really that's what we train on our expectations you know just like everything else but the supply they're going to say well this is this is not enough so they ran the beans up and it's up another i think 40 or 50 cents right now so you got beans around 14 dollars in a couple of days so that w- that was a a s- surprise well, how does, uh, I mean, what I, what I know from this is my, my brother Dan, president of PTI Securities, and Dan traded uh, corn options for a while. Yeah, to give you an idea, uh, it's, you know, $50, 5,000 con- or 5,000 bushels per contract, and every penny it moves is, is 50 bucks. Right. So as soon as you start talking about, you know, 40, 50, and dollar moves, that's uh, 2,500 per one lot. Yeah. So you've got, you've got, uh, significant risk if you're. Is the uh, position limit still three million bushels for a nine nine uh, hedger? It's higher than that. Higher than that. Three million. Three million bushels is uh, what you take away f- uh, three zero. So that's six six hundred contracts. I think it's. I think it's more now. Seven fifty or a thousand. Uh, the thing that surprised me about this survey that came out, uh, this shock to the system. Is well. What I know about this is my, of course, my brother. When he, when he does anything, he immerses himself in it. And he, in two or three years, he traded corn options. Knew more about corn and beans than you know most people after two or three years. Uh, so he, corn goes in. Corn, corn has a longer between seed and harvest. It takes corn longer than soybeans. Correct. So people usually would try and plant corn if everything's equal. Although some, sometimes you like to rotate one year to the next because the corn takes more fertilizer and the soybean puts nutrients back in the ground, blah, blah, blah. But tr- it seems like, Greg, they wouldn't make this, it's hard to imagine the, the, the split going this way because the idea is if you plant all the corn in and all of a sudden you get some weather problems, if it's too wet or too whatever, you can, you, 30 days later, or whatever the days are, you can, if, if you can't get your corn in, you can get the soybean in and still get a, a, a solid soybean crop. Right. So I'm kind of surprised that they would ever, you know, bleep up the estimates this direction. You would think it would always be the other direction, where where well, where there more, was a more lot soybeans of and less corn because they couldn't get the corn in. Even though the farmer might have said, "I'm going to plant a thousand acres corn," and all of a sudden he couldn't get it in. And he only planted 800. You you would expect any kind of surprise to go the other way, wouldn't you? Well, corn was was there was a sizable premium in corn, and I think still and what your input costs are higher but also your your profits going to be higher so we kind of saw that 
um, a few months ago when they were looking at evaluating this year, and that was kind of the the thought that we would get some expectation of farmers swapping for corn, and at least trying to capture that extra. Because I mean, you, can, you can't you can't swap soybeans to corn. You you can swap corn to soybean if you don't get it in, correct? Uh, here, yes. I'm not sure south, okay. but but uh, for what here we expect more than 200 bushels uh, an acre, and it it comes that out used, to that used to be a very first nobody got 200 bushels, and then it was only if you were in the prime central Illinois Iowa one swath of black dirt it was only the real premium areas, and now everybody. I mean, if you're if you're not getting over 200, you're a schmuck now. Right, right. So, really, you're looking to maximize your profit, and then risk risk kind of follows for good or for bad. I mean, yeah. you can kind of tell what's going to happen based on the the profit levels. And even though corn was more expensive and there's more risk, it it seems like there was that premium that they were willing to to pay up for. So now we see. Uh, now we see kind of the weather, and you'll see the the row crops trading on more weather now that we've got better uh, estimates in terms. Well, they of, sure got enough rain yesterday. Yeah, there was there was some rain yesterday. Eight um, inches in Berlin. You know, yeah, enough the viaducts were. We had a low pressure system. Actually, funny enough, right over us here uh, in the loop, and in the loop, <laughs> the low pressure caused those storms to just circulate. Over yeah, did you most see that? The it, was, it, was, it was essentially a tropical formation. It was rotating around. Yeah, so that was that was a little strange. I'm sure NASCAR well, hated so that. My buddy Scott, we got a break here. My buddy Scott, who I saw last night, he's going driving to work, and the, and the he shows. Of course, he's one of these whatever he's doing or something going on with his phone, right? So he's he's filming the guy in front of him who's got this, you know, four wheel drive, uh, like a, well, it's, it's a Jeep, the new Wrangler thing. The guy's got the huge tires on there. And the dude goes through the viaduct, and the water had to be three feet deep, two and a half feet deep. And he goes, I can't believe how dumb I was. So he's filming himself going, <laughs> going through the thing. At one point, the water comes over the hood. Whoa. And he somehow made it through. I go, Scott, are you, are you, are you, are you freaking, what is the matter with you? <laughs> if that guy barely got through, and, and he's, he's eight inches higher than you are, what, what were you thinking? I don't know, I had to get to work. I'm going, oh, boy. A little risky. <laughs> Little, yeah. I mean, I, I he must have a real high air intake, and on, on, on that thing, wow. uh, whatever car he had. I mean, but there, there were pictures. You ever see uh, the old four wheel drive magazines, which I used to get? Uh, I don't know if they're around anymore. But guys, if you're going to go through a stream up that high, like maybe you're in a jeep or something, you you take your air thing and you'd put like a snorkel up. Oh man! So the thing was like where the windshield was. So you could actually go in a motor as long as the motor's got uh, air, it, it, it'll run for a while. I mean, it'll, I guess it'll short out if you have a. It could short out, but I think if you put a special, you know, ignition stuff in there and everything, you can actually go through. Why? Why you would want to? What if it were conked out there? How are you gonna get the thing out of there anyway? Well, a bunch of people are finding out <laughs> now. Yeah. Man. Yeah, SP futures down one, Nasdaq futures up thirteen. Be right back, stacks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. 
The Control Freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing in Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Hello and welcome Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howell. Matt Byrne on the board. Uh, Greg in studio. We have Mr. John Flanagan on the phone here in a second. Uh... We got individual stacks. Uh, we got Tesla up 17 bucks. I guess they did a little bit better on their production than people thought. Uh, we've got Nvidia up a buck and a half. Nothing major. I mean, like I said, the S&P futures down a buck 75. Nasdaq up 10. We don't expect much today. We're at half a day, but can't be closed four days in a row, Greg. You know that. You know, can't can't do that. Market no. never sleeps. Market never sleeps. Down on 40 over in Europe. We've got 
Uh, DAX down five. Call that flat. FTSE up 24.3 percent, and we've got uh, CAC around up 14.2 percent over Asia. We've got the Nikkei up 564. There's a the number, 1.7 percent. Uh, Hong Kong up two percent, 390, back up over 19,000. So that means they go back down tomorrow, or they go back down on, on Wednesday, because they just go flying back and forth across this 19,000. That's a whole two percent. Shanghai up 41, 1.3. Uh, so they have private surveys on factory stuff over in Asia. The news last night was that the uh, uh, manufacturing was coming back slower than expected. Well, there must be another com- survey that said uh, uh, different. So on Friday, we had a big update. Uh, Dow was up 285. The S&P up 53. NASDAQ up 196. Uh, we've got bonds up four basis points, 3.86, making a move towards four again here, it looks like. Bund up four basis points, 2.43. Japan unchanged, 0.41. We've got oil. Up 66 cents, back up over 71 bucks, 71.30. Run up 60 cents, 76.01. Natural gas down 9 cents, 270. Arbob unchanged at 254. We've got gold. Guess what? Down 60, 9.60. Cannot try to look like make it back to 1950. That's so going the other way. Silver down 6 cents, 22.95. Very strange how this gold cannot get, get anywhere. It must be a seller somewhere, a liquidator. Copper up a penny, 3.75. We got Bitcoin. 105,30,655, and we have the U.S. dollar up up a little bit, but the, the euro's still 109, and the, and the pound is still 127, so it hasn't really gone anywhere. Matt, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. Not so much rain today, like yesterday. Yeah, it's actually pretty dry today. I want to say good morning. Uh, it's currently 6.38 a.m. on July 3rd, 2023. Uh, as far as weather in the city, 63 degrees currently in Chicago. No rain in sight. A uh, high of 82 degrees today. Sunny skies throughout the day. Tomorrow we're expecting sunny skies as well and a high of 90. Down in Phoenix, Arizona, clear skies, 89 degrees currently, a high of 112 degrees later on. In the MLB yesterday, Cubs lost to Guardians 8-6. White Sox beat Athletics 8-7. And Diamondbacks lost to Angels 5-2. Of course, yesterday in the Chicago street race, uh, the winner was number 91, Shane Van Ginsbergen. I have a little excerpt from CBS Sports. Uh, this is from the article from Stephen Toronto, uh, NASCAR at Chicago Street Race results. Shane Van Ginsbergen wins the Grant Park 2020 Cup uh, in his Cup Series debut in his very first NASCAR Cup Series start in the very first street course race in Cup Series history. New Zealand native Shane Van Ginsbergen pulled off a stunner and won the Grant Park 2020 at the Chicago Street Course. Van Ginsbergen, a three-time VA Supercars champion with 80 career wins on the other side of the globe, took the lead from Justin Haley with five laps to go, pulled away, pulled away to take the victory in a one-off start for Track House Racing's Project 91. That's all for me, Chief. Back to you. Good for him. I, uh, yesterday morning, I, we have Mr. Flanagan. We do indeed. John, I'll just tell you how people look at things differently, as you well know. As, as you become more observant, it's, it's so fun listening to uh, people. So I go shopping yesterday morning, my usual shtick. And I, I walk out of the Myers, and it is a monsoon outside. And I'm, I parked a little further mm-hmm. away than I normally do, and I'm going, well, what am I going to do here? So I waited for a little bit, didn't get any better. So I'm thinking, all right, maybe I should just make it. Of course, i got a perfectly good umbrella in the car or the truck. So I figured, okay, should I leave all my groceries here? And Because uh, I was buying stuff for uh, having some people over tonight at Audrey. So I, or I just make a dash for the truck and then come back and put it under the canopy, and then I can load up, at least not to get anything else all wet. There's two other people standing there. There's a white lady and a black lady. The white lady goes, 
Ah, screw it. I can't stand here all day. Off she goes. And the black lady goes, uh, I start talking to her, and she says, you know, I don't mind getting wet. I'm a, I, I love my garden, and I've been, I've been watering it during this drought, and I'm so tired of paying water uh, water bills to the city of Chicago because in the suburbs they buy the water from the city and somebody makes a fortune on it. Mm. She goes, I don't mind getting drenched as long as I don't have to pay those people their money and off she goes. I'm going, you just never know what bitterness is out there, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's a good attitude, Tom. I like <laughs> Well, you know, uh, one of Audrey's pals, and she keeps the, uh, uh, you know, the spectacular yard. I mean, I the art is like her talk about hobby but if you were going to put a place in Orland and, and you know uh, if there was going to be a garden walk it would be her yard I mean there's she went on vacation and Audrey and I went over and said we'd water the flowers it took us like two hours and it, it's it, the place is incredible the amount of not, not just because you, you know the ones in the ground can pretty much hang in there but she must have 50 pots all over the place well those you have to water no matter anyway you're, and she's watering every day and she doesn't uh, you know Audrey lets the grass go a lot of people let their grass go dormant not this late. Guess what her water bill was last month? Ouch. I'm afraid to ask. 800 Oh, man. Yeah. But she refuses. She, that's her hobby, and she refuses to let the you know the grass not look good or the flowers look good. And I'm going, ugh, 800 But, but they, you know, those people in the burbs, they buy the stuff from Chicago, and they get, they get hosed basically at the deal. And, uh, you know, they got all, it's all metered. It's crazy. It's almost like you want a well just for your plants. Oh yeah, well you know if that's people's avocation. You know, people take a lot of pride in it, and they're not getting anything for nothing. They're paying full freight on the water, um, but it's a tremendous commitment, you know, time-wise, yeah. financial. So, but I admire people who keep it up. Oh yeah, it's a, but it's it's a huge. I've got three or four tomato plants going. One reason I'm you know I'm wearing out on that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but uh, it's a. What, what did you make of? Uh, I was talking earlier about wanting an accounting of well, who earns all the money, who made all the dough on this, and was it a net positive or a negative on this NASCAR thing? I mean, I hope I hope it was a net positive. I just, you know, I don't. You, you I didn't. went. I was a first time goer. But you didn't pay. What do you mean I didn't pay? Well, you bought it. I thought you said you were just wandering around, like looking where you could. Well, yeah, that was one hundred and sixty bucks. It was one hundred and sixty bucks just to stand? Pretty much. All right. So give me the pecking order. There was there was standing. There was bleachers. There was sort of nice areas of, and then some real nice areas. Yeah, there were all sorts of uh, different pavilions you could go to, very creatively named like Balbo and <laughs> Congress. And and <laughs> where they set up the stands, you could, if you had the pass, I think those those uh, were bleacher seats. Yeah, and then those are lovely, aren't they, especially in the sun or the rain? <laughs> the concerts and stuff were in the middle, and... If you were GA, general admission, you could you know wander around throughout the track and just kind of stand by, stand by the barriers wherever you really wanted. People congregated more around the turns because <laughs> that's where all the action was. Yeah, because you want to see crack ups, right? Man, and there were a lot. Oh god, there were a lot. At the end, there was the fourteen car pileup. Yeah. <laughs> Jen, did you ever used to go to a fourteen car pileup? I didn't five. Shows how much attention I was paying. Fourteen car pileup. Normally, the funny comment online was, normally when there's a fourteen car pileup like that on Michigan Avenue or whatever, there's people twerking on top. God. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing was pretty darn narrow. I mean, did you see the? Uh, I was watching Channel Nine News last night. Did you see the simulator? 
I did. I saw that. God, was that fascinating or what? Yeah, that's kind of that's about as close as I might get. <laughs> well, you know, here's the weird part: is the guy doing it for the listeners? Evidently, every every NASCAR track uh, has a simulator, sort of for that track. And this particular simulator, not only was it for guys to practice, I mean, most of the drivers now have a simulator in their in their house, right? They pay up for the darn thing. And it's, and it's really, you know, it's like something used to drive one of them, you know, used to have in the bowling alleys and stuff. Uh, but this one was, uh, evidently, they, when they were designing the track, they had already designed it into the simulator. And there were two or three different potential track layouts, and they used the simulator to figure out which one they, think, they thought was better. So even though it looks like, you know, nobody only, people only had a little, uh, you know, whatever, half hour to practice, they really had been working on a simulator for a while. So you knew where all the turns were and knew all the other stuff. So, so one of the ladies from Channel 9 gets on there, she, she like spins around on her first turn. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not, I mean, it, this stuff is not easy. I mean, these guys are, when you're, when you start going. They were doing there, 120 down, uh, down, yeah. down some of those straightaways. Well, the thing is, well, the thing's 220 miles, right? And they were supposed Yesterday to they did, uh, they shortened it because of darkness to 75 laps because there were so many cautions and and they were running out of daylight time. I don't know what was wrong. They didn't want to do night. So no. 75 laps times uh, 2.2 miles. They did a 165. Well, but it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be 100, 100 laps. Yeah. To two what two two and a quarter of lap. 2.2. Yeah. 2.2 a lap, and it was supposed to end in like what two hours? The Grant Park 220. So, yeah. so what is that? They were supposed to average over 100 miles an hour, right? They they were but they piled up in the yeah. first, I think the third lap. They <laughs> Yeah. The, the, it was the first accident. Well, I mean, they got like, a lot of cars. The thing was narrow. It was only two lanes, right? It was. Yeah. It was. Uh, the driving line was less. If you <laughs> if you were really in contention, you know, there, in, there was only maybe one or two spots where you could really pass and... Um, Van Bergen, whatever he was the only one doing the passing most of the time. I mean, are all are all the cars pretty much the same? Or, yeah. I mean, there's not there's not anybody who's. You know, it's not like Indy where all of a sudden one year somebody's five miles an hour faster than everybody else to qualify. I mean, these guys are all pretty much the same. Yeah. It's a you know it's a, it's a fascinating sport. I haven't they come into total. Didn't the guy who owned the Nasdaq circuit either try and sell it or sell it like three years ago? They were talking about deal with the Saudis, weren't they? Yeah, there was some. But I don't know if it's as if it's as popular. I mean, they're all over the country because one of the groups I, I do some business with actually sponsored a driver last year. This is so weird. They went to like six of these places. And when it comes here, they weren't involved, which is kind of weird. But uh, not not my call. But it was a uh, anyway. It was it was it was interesting, and uh, hopefully we'll be back to normal here pretty soon. Still no softball in the park. Not that I you know because one's Lollapalooza now. Another couple of weeks. Next yeah. month, yeah. So we're gonna do that. So uh, that that brings in some dough. I mean, I think. Uh, well, whatever. So, John, we had uh, all kinds of. Well, I want to ask you uh, one thing more on, on the commodity si- side, uh, John. You want to bear with us for a second? A few sure. years ago, didn't uh, when I say a few years ago, it seems like the the COVID three years is like didn't even happen. But uh, we used to have one of the, one of our guests was uh, big on the commodity stuff, and w- there was one year. Greg, where uh, the corn was... Uh, 2013. Must have been 2013, where, where all of a sudden um, everybody bought up the spot corn. And all of a sudden, 
people that had sold all what a normal some people do all of it some people do half of it some people do none of it but basically if you if you get your corn in the ground at I'll use the term two bucks and the futures are trading four and a half or four yeah that's not happening this year no but I'm saying but you're but you're the idea is you you sell the futures you essentially lock in your your price now, right. on the other side that's the reason for the market on the other side Kellogg's is saying <clears throat> I need I need corn in November so I'm going to buy the futures and essentially lock in my price and that's the the purpose of what what the exchange is doing in the commodity side so the uh, that one year after people hedged their stuff wasn't there a big shortage someplace and you know, all of a sudden <coughs> the price runs to where the people who were involved with us they and we didn't do this stuff but they were involved with some other things they were actually selling the spot price, spot corn to like China and places in Vietnam well <coughs> there wasn't any so all of a sudden the futures price for like November or December <coughs> is like four bucks but if you wanted to buy some today if you can find it it was like eight right or nine so and that's like a typical squeeze yeah where you've got people who maybe sold what they were uh, expecting having a long time ago so say you you were a farmer um, you're a farmer you know you're you're going to get some corn or some beans or whatever three months ago you say all right well i'll sell some of it and all of a sudden the those the prices go crazy well you're still short those futures right so you're gonna have it and the exchange uh the exchange knows pretty much you're gonna have it but you still have to post margin and that just makes things worse too yep because you've got those people who have sold and who really don't want it they'll just recognize the paper loss rather than or or try or deliver well you in know. theory you haven't lost anything you're when you sell your stuff you're gonna get eight bucks when you buy the futures back to me eight bucks yeah, you have to yeah. grow it and deliver it. <coughs> oh, yeah. So that's that's uh, a lot of a lot of times though you'll see that squeeze because they'd rather not. They just rather do the futures. So, but that year caused. Uh, and Jan, if you and I drove around, even you know schmucks like us would recognize. God, all these farms seem to have silos now or storage facilities. Wasn't there a massive uh, uptick in? In storage facility construction on the individual farms. Yeah, when you see when you see the you could make a ton of money by storing a <laughs> on that one year. Yeah, so it might as well have the flexibility and and if you remember, yeah, uh, if interest you pick, rates were yeah. were lower. So of course, right. if you if you could pick the year, you would just not sell the futures, or you'd buy them if you thought they were going up, right? Right, and silos are not you know particularly that expensive, so. I thought the really yeah. big and good ones were. Cause you have to dry the stuff in there, don't you? Yeah, those are the expensive parts, the maintenance and the and the machinery. But uh, for break-evens, I think in Illinois they were talking about uh, break-even prices of corn probably around like 5 50 or so. And we're trading $5 now, so <laughs> that's not there. Uh, beans, I think they were projecting the break-even to be thirteen fifty-seven. Well, you brought stuff in... Beginning of the year, uh, well, not the beginning of the planning year, where you said last year, the well, the average, whatever that even means, the median farmer made uh, two hundred fifty grand this year. They're gonna make sixty. Right. So again, that's very very generalized. Yep. You've got to be locking in. You've got to be. Uh, you've got to be right with what kind of. Uh, nutrition program and fertilizer you're doing, all that stuff. So. That's 
highly individual. But what I what I follow is the University of Illinois. They do Farm Doc, and Farm Doc said that the break-even price for Illinois is probably going to be around five fifty or so for corn, and thirteen and a half. Used for, to be what for beans. two and a quarter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in terms of how how efficient you are at producing, if you're a farmer, I don't know, but hopefully you hedge some up above because right now we're we're below that. Yeah. Same thing with beans, you know, if, or no, with beans, call it trading fourteen or so. Where the break even was thirteen fifty seven. Well, I know Mr. Flanagan has forty eight tomato plants in his backyard, thinking he's going to get three bucks a pound. And he's going to get one. He's not troll. Better, you better start eating a lot of tomatoes because you're not going to be able to sell them. Just saying. Yeah, so, I've always ended up just composting most of the time. I can't eat yeah. them all. The uh, hey, uh, we had some Supreme Court stuff going on yesterday, and it always gets me uh, thinking. I mean, obviously, with you on being the attorney that you are, um, pretty fascinating stuff. Plus, Carl has uh, opened my eyes up to an awful lot of stuff. Uh, I hope he has the listeners as well. It's it's funny, Jan, that when you look at the Constitution, which I am no scholar, that's how we get from beans to the Constitution pretty quick here. Uh, you look at it, there there's an assumption in there, and I think I read this once, and I don't know if it's true. You you guys can opine um, that a lot of what you see in the Constitution, a lot of what maybe the holes are, is he was the uh, the specter of George Washington, even though he wasn't, he was not even at the Constitutional Convention, was he? I don't, he might have wandered in and out, but I don't think he was part of it. Um, everybody just knew that he was going to be the president, and they knew what kind of an individual he was. And, it, and I, this article that I wrote, I wrote, I, I read, the guy said that just about every weakness you see in there, there were, you know, the checks and balances wasn't complete had to do with the fact that you thought every president was going to be like George Washington. And for those that, you know, even forget this stuff because it was a long time ago for me, basically the, leg- the, the three parts are the, the legislative department group makes the laws, the executive department enforces the laws, and, this, and the courts interpret the laws, right, John? Isn't that the basics yeah. of the whole thing? And yet there doesn't appear to be any sort of uh, the phenomenon of the last several years especially when you when you added the big companies on top of it that really don't want to pay attention to any government of any stretch, really. Um, and I'll, and I, I, that's a generalization, but I, don't, I think it's a fair one. Um, it comes down to the idea is the, the Supreme Court essentially has no enforcement power whatsoever, except for the executive branch. Well, if somebody's essentially suing the executive branch for an interpretation... And I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, whatever. The 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 executive branch, uh, really, they're being. It's almost like you know telling your kid to go spank himself or something. I mean, how's that going to work? Or ground himself or whatever you do. And uh, I mean, it, I mean, the, the, and this and this student loan thing, they're not going to to try. And I'll ask the question, John. So this this, this suit. Uh, was what Asian Americans, right? That weren't getting into Harvard. It's one of them. And then there was a, I don't know what it's the story. Back the case, right? Yeah, but then there was something going on in North Carolina, which I don't. I mean, the Supreme Court combined the two cases. I don't know who who's who's bitching at who in North Carolina, but it, Harvard part was Asian Asian Americans, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, which were 
were doing really well on the tests, and but there was a quota. They'd only let 20% of the class or whatever it was. And I think everybody in the U.S. knows, hey, a, quote, a racial quota is not what you're supposed to be doing. Let me come in. Um, and the, I, would, I don't think most people would disagree with what I just said, although some people seem to be these days. So now the court says this, all right, there's not going to be, we can't do that anymore. Well, it took, I think that case was, what, 2016, then? 17? Yeah, at least 15 or 16, I think. Was, was yeah, so, so we're seven out. years into it, and we get to this decision. So Harvard, basically, the first thing they say is, we're not, we're not changing anything, right? Wasn't that their first out peep? Yeah, I mean, they're still, they're still going to, you know, find a way uh, to achieve the kind of, you know, balance or imbalance that they desire. So if, so the Supreme Court can't send troops over to Harvard or policemen and, and, and take the president and put him in jail, the president of Harvard. So they, they have nothing like that. And the administration clearly is not going to go up against Harvard, and the president's not going to walk in, whoever he is, even if it's Trump, he's not going to walk in tomorrow and, and all of a sudden have a, you know, pick a huge fight with Harvard. They're, they're just not going to do it. But, you know, so, so you ask yourself, where, where is the law here actually? So if they come up with some half-assed way to get around it, which they probably will, and say, well, it's, it's I don't know, what else could you call it, John? But they'll, they'll find some way, whether it's a hardship thing or they'll, they'll, stop, they'll stop using tests altogether and just pick who they want. Right, they'll just put a paragraph in an essay, you know, writing sample or whatever, to detail how wrong they've been by racial discrimination, and that will be given the kind of weight that Harvard or some other mission committee wants to give it. And, you know, that's, you know, it, it may proceed pretty much the same as it always has. The only solution, of course, is injunctive relief. And this is this will, you know, trigger, I'm sure, you know, into the foreseeable future, a whole, whole host of lawsuits against various uh, colleges that are not, you know, exercising the kind of control or, or the sort of lack of control they had in the way they were administering affirmative action in the past. And they'll allege that this is a violation of their rights. And unless they get some kind of, you know, injunction against college so-and-so or whatever, or some continuing order, I don't see that very much is going to change. But, Chad, how is there, how is there no, I, you know, Carl, of course, read the whole thing. How is it there, there's no damages? I mean, a, the, the Asian kid who got, I'll use the term, got screwed in 2016 and had to go to Illinois, say. I mean, there's no, there's no a, a perceived or whatever sort of, it wasn't like everybody who didn't get in that, quote, should have gets 100 grand or 200 grand or 300 grand because that's a difference in, in making in, uh, your, your livelihood between being a Harvard grad and an Illinois grad. I mean, how could this thing have gone this far without... No, no cash being on the table. It seems like all everybody cares about these things is cash. And all the, you know, all the wrong that was alleged here really is something that you, you compensate someone for. If you were discriminated against because of your race, which is you know prohibited, um, that is you know something that it, it, it is in the power of the court to say this has to stop. You can't do this. This is this was erroneous on your part. Anybody else who's following procedures this way is in the wrong. But it isn't like there's any kind of uh, relief that I know was asked for because these people were denied the education that they wanted or that the one they settled for was less valuable. Well, let's, less go to, let's go to break and let's expound on that after because everything else, 
you know, if you don't let somebody go into the, the right mechanic, for God's sake, it's like two million bucks because you because you disrespected somebody or something. How mm-hmm. how this could be? If there's no difference in which school there is, what's the point of the whole thing? SB Futures down three, Desi Futures up a quarter. We're leaking a little bit here. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Have a few drinks and, you know, drive home. Hello and welcome back. Stacks and Jacks. S&P futures down four and a quarter. NASDAQ futures up unchanged, actually. We'll give it this another maybe 45 seconds and we'll see either if our guests could pick out what this is from. Maybe Mr. Flanagan. Bullet. Good job, man. Yeah, nice break. Yeah, what, a, what a great what a great movie. And a great theme too. Oh yeah. Robert Vaughn, Steve McQueen. Pretty, pretty good stuff and a, and a great car chase. Were you listening to this as you're watching the race yesterday, Chief? Uh, actually, I, it came across on the YouTube. Somebody sent it to me. So ah, I yeah. use this for the show. Nice, nice. And uh, what these guys they used to do these uh, things for movies. They really did a good job on these scores, didn't they? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's really something. Well, a lot of times they had to sell it as a as a vinyl record. Yeah, know? this one I don't think was, but it's, oh, that's too bad. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's definitely a building, a tension-building kind of in- intro. Mm. So, Mr. Flanagan, my question to you is, if, if you ended up, uh, um, if I were to say, I didn't get to park here 
and I had to walk, you know, whatever, five miles or something, I had to go park in another spot because you wouldn't let me park here. And if I was going to take that to some attorney, the first thing the attorney would say is, what are your damages, I think. And, if it, and you'd say, well, it cost me $10 a day and it wore out shoes faster. Whatever you lob in there, it could be BS or not, but there's the reason for a lawsuit is usually damages. So how does this thing percolate its way all the way through without some number on it, where the Asian guy who didn't get into Harvard Law School say, he had to go to DePaul, where he says, okay, I'm seven years out of school, and if people come out of Harvard Law make an average of 225 a year, and people come out of DePaul Law make 100, by the way, you owe me 100 a quarter times seven plus interest. How, how's, how's there, how is there no damages, I guess, is my question. And why would it, I, don't, I never heard of a case like that. John? We lose Jen. Looks like we can lost. you hear me. I get it. Yeah, uh, now we can. Well, yeah. I, I never heard of a case. How, how can there be no damages? Well, you know, in your, you have to have standing to bring an action. Meaning, you have to be somebody who can point to, you know, treatment by your defendant that in which you were wronged and how you were wronged. It's up to you how you plead it. Um, and of course, the, the students who filed these actions allege that that they were ones who fell into this class that was on the wrong side of these admission committees. So they clearly had standing, uh, and their prayer for relief was not monetary damages. That isn't what they were interested in getting from the university. Um, they wanted the you know university's policies to change, and they also wanted to overturn. The whole idea of affirmative action because they could see this as being the pernicious source of this kind of treatment that harvard and you know unc were not the only places doing this but they certainly had evidence that they did it in their cases so if they could get the entire policy overturned they don't have to show that they were harmed financially by it if they choose not to plead that but they have to show some kind of wrong you know some sort of error that was committed here that needs to be corrected. So it's up to the plaintiff, and it's, you know, um, it doesn't have to be something that you can reduce the dollars and cents to make it right again, because clearly that, that isn't the case. Well, if there's here. no monetary, who pays for it? I mean, these people didn't pay the legal fees all the way up just to prove a point. Oh, well, somebody did. You know, this and this is when you have public action, you know, groups, you know, pack money or whatever behind it, which is often how, it's, and it's, there's nothing new about this in history, um, but you pick a test case where you've got an attractive plaintiff and an unattractive defendant, and you're trying to prove a larger point, and you get money to back you up. So there's been lots of these groups that have been behind, whether it's you know, gun control appeals, you name it. Uh, it's as old as, as there's been money in the system. So it has nothing really to, to do with grassroots effort, although there are such cases in Supreme Court history where somebody with no money at all got somebody represent them pro bono and got a major victory going all the way up to the Supreme Court. But those are, are rare these days. It's more likely somebody has, you know, got some kind of visibility among other groups and they've got fundraising ability and they've got lawyers who are itching to go ahead to, you know, tell with somebody else. And, you know, this is how, you know, the court tends to operate these days. Except it may, I, it may not seem to be, you know, very genuine, but it, but it isn't any less genuine, I guess, than any other case. But if so. if if I'll use the example of like the the police, and it doesn't matter what neighborhood it is, if if the police get a search warrant wrong and and, and bang through my front door, 
and, you know, and, and hold a gun up and, uh, and so forth, and I were to say, hey, you got the wrong place, if I sue the police, even if they fix my front door, if they say we're sorry and all the other kind of stuff, if they did, uh, I'm going to want, you know, whatever, some absurd amount of money, There's gonna be, whether there's damages or not. So I just can't believe... Emotional distress. You know, yeah, yeah. I, but I can't believe that all these people who essentially didn't get in... I think the, the dog was also distressed. Yeah, plus the dog was distressed if I had a dog, you know. The uh, dog was especially distressed. Yeah, the, the porcelain dog was was, was, was de- depressed or whatever. I I don't... I guess I'm, I'm just kind of surprised that Harvard gets a, not even a slap of any sort, and the next day they say we're going to keep doing it. I mean, I, where, where's the enforcement here? I mean, in, I mean, in, in Chicago... The, the, it'll be a $3 million deal that the city gives to this person and how they, you know, here's a person who even if it's me, you're going to say, okay, you're, you're going to make $3 million this year? You know, I mean, probably not. Uh, it just seems kind of I, I, I match the two together and I find no match, John, is basically where I'm where I'm going with this. I don't, you know, I yeah, don't... And, you know, really, Tom, I don't think there's any ways any, anybody could have put together a case here to ask for money damages that would have made any difference in how Harvard would Okay, but you know, I guess I, mean, I know I'm beating this up a little bit, but if there was no difference in in somebody's degree from Harvard that they didn't get fraudulently or whatever you want to call it, fraudulently is probably not the wrong, wrong word, but they got screwed out of, how's that, for a south side, and they ended up going to Illinois or DePaul or Loyola or someplace, if there was no difference, what's the bitch? There has to be a difference, and if there's a, and if there's a difference, it's got to be a money, monetary difference. That's the way we live in this country, right? Well, it's it seems to be cleaner if you can, you know, tag that onto it. Um, but you know, in discrimination cases, when if there's discrimination and it's beyond the, the pale of the law, you don't have to plead damages to, to allege and to prove that a wrong was committed, and whoever's doing it should stop doing it. That, the goal here was to get Harvard and other institutions to back off on this. And of course, I think, you know, not all institutions are going to be as brave or, you know, as bullheaded as Harvard is. I think you're going to see some institutions um, who are worried, you know, about what they've been doing. Maybe it's even more egregious than what Harvard and UNC were doing, might back off. And you, it, it's, I think it's designed pretty much as a the, you know, sign of, of the changing temper on this. And it, it had to happen at least once at this level with the Supreme Court case that, in effect, overturned affirmative action at least as yeah, all, you know, yeah, well, a they, process. But all they did was is, uh, is erase the firm quota. I don't think there's gonna, they're going to make any difference in what they do. Right, but that's a step, Tom. And, you know, that's going to trigger more... This is not going to be the end of okay. you know, the judicial battle here. This will, if anything, is probably going to explode and you will see you know a financial you know claims being made because of this and careers that were altered whatever and in hiring practices too i think the hiring practices thing is is even worse oh, yeah. i mean I, I don't i don't like to see any student you know rejected because of something that happened when the student was in utero and had no control over no matter how much effort they put into their education or the hard work they invested in developing a character and a personality that they would bring to an institution, how that could be ignored just because of the race. So we, are we going to try and pin this on the new mayor in Chicago here? <laughs> um, I mean, if you put a list of his, of his 100 recent hires, what, kind of, what would you call uh, that? What would you call that system? 
Uh, the, the AFT gone wild. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just exclusionary, I think. Uh, so what about the uh, the student loan thing? I mean, I... Well, I, that was a no-brainer from the get-go. I don't think there was anybody, I hope there wasn't anybody in Biden's closest circle that expected him to get away with that. And there certainly was nobody in Congress who's going to truck with it because they, they saw their, you know, power over this kind of stuff being, being served. Ocasio-Cortez wanted it. Yeah. Well, it's... <laughs> a lot of well, people that was an election stunt, Tom, for the midterms. I mean, it was clearly just a vote-getting scheme. And there's no way, I don't think anybody legally expected this thing to pass muster. I, but, and, okay, but you start out from a situation, and I think the three of us, even though you and I disagree on a lot of stuff, the three of us would agree, I think, unanimously, that this student loan deal in the last 30 years has turned into a massive goat bleep. That you have people uh, paying... Most people are on, two, I don't know that much about it, but most people are on two levels of of interest, right? Where the, where the, the government piece is like three, and the, the part they set up with the private people is like six or six and a half. Yeah. Meanwhile, the government is jamming rates down to like 1% or 1.5% for their buddies, essentially. So they we're essentially scalping our student loans, or scalp, scalping our kids, right? We'll use a trading floor term. So there's this massive amount of, of student debt out there. You have universities that are charging so damn much because people can get the money. It's it's unconscionable. And so the idea that there shouldn't be some sort of solution, I think, yeah, there ought to be a solution. I mean, when when you look at, like, the P, uh, PCE numbers last week, and I went back and checked, you know, the history of them, at some point, John, this, this, this BS that, that they keep throwing at people reaches a conclusion to where you just look at it and you go, what are we doing? I mean, I, I'm not going to I'm not gonna fight with these idiots over whether or not the PCE was 4.6 or 4.7 last year. What I look at is when you and I were in school, the I'm going to say the, the median household income was, what, 18 grand, 20, something like that? And it cost... Yeah, it might be a little... A little generous, but yeah. Okay, seventeen. The, my point's the same. Uh, uh, a year at a, I'm going to say Notre Dame was a really good institution, high price, whether you like it, the place or not. I'm going to say it was thirty five hundred bucks all in. Illinois was probably twenty two hundred all in. So it was essentially, pick a number, twenty five percent of the median income. And now. Median income is of a family is now it's one hundred and twenty five percent. It's fifty, and it's so now it's one hundred and twenty five percent. Can I read you a quote from? Uh, sure, Ocasio Cortez. The Supreme Court has not been receiving the adequate oversight necessary in order to preserve their own legitimacy. Ah, like she is. And in the process, they themselves have been destroying the legitimacy of the court, which is profoundly dangerous for an entire democracy. Okay, but I, I believe, John, give me the legal interpretation, that the student loan thing had nothing to do with whether or not the debt should be dissolved or not. It had to do with Congress created it. Congress has to do the next move. It's not You can't do it through executive order, correct? Right, right. And, and, and does anybody not think that that's accurate? Even even if you don't like the, the signals, outcome. signals a dangerous creep towards authoritarianism and a centralization of power in the court. 
They are expanding their role into acting as though they are Congress itself, and that, I believe, is an expansion well, you know, of power. In this particular case, I think she's a blithering idiot, because if Congress would have done this, it would have been perfectly legit, right, John? Right. She's just taking her talking points from the Justice Democrats that created her and got her elected. And this is it's, there's a concerted effort now to embarrass the court and to delegitimize it because it's it's acting like it, but it why, I guess my question is why doesn't Congress just look at the student debt situation over the last 20 years and why don't they come to some sort of a a fix and if and a fix the way I would design the fix is forget about the three doctors that declared bankruptcy year one that those loans should be in in, in uh, t- with people totally destitute, they should be dismissed. The whole idea that if you're handicapped or if you're if you're disabled, I mean, really, or if if the person dies, the person who co-signed it is disabled, they can't. I mean, Jan, what are we doing here? I mean, I would I would say to make it fair, say, look, we've we have we have screwed people certainly over the last seven years on interest to the tune of three percent a year, at least. Wait a second. Student loans didn't pay interest for. I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking about going back to when they did. And plus, it's it's a, they're not they're not paying it. It's it's accumulating. It right. wasn't it wasn't dissolved. It's accumulating. So everybody, even people who paid them off over the last ten years, in my opinion, they should all be re- rethought of, recalculated, and everybody should get a check. A guy like Matt Weber who paid his off five years ago, he should get a check. He they should never have been paying. Three times the tw- three times the interest rate that Amazon does, really? No, nope. I paid mine off forty years ago. Tom, I'm going to be waiting for my check. Well, I'm. <laughs> I, 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 where's my check? <laughs> the uh, I could see you doing it. Where's my check? But I'm saying that there, there's obviously there's a huge screw up in this program and what it's done to college tuition, what it's done to the, how, how many people work for these colleges and indirect things, and how many. Administrators, are, there, there's a huge mess because this gov- this money became quote available, and it was jammed down people's throats. It needs to be fixed. Congress should just fix it. That's their job. They're the ones who passed it, right? No, I think they've they've been they've sold themselves to a whole fleet of lobbyists that have facilitated this crisis. You know, because I think it is it is a crisis. Sure, it's, it is. It's likely to get a, a lot worse. But there's there's been absolutely no interest on uh, in the part of anybody in Congress that I know of, except maybe Bernie Sanders, who's got I think the wrong solution. Just you know, forgive everything. But to, to even consider restructuring it to, to let these things be dischargeable in bankruptcy, to put a cap on on debt, you know, as a as some sort of a figure that maybe can float or change, just to, to keep it within reasonable range, or or you've just got your people being pummeled by usurious deals that they'll never get out from under is going to destroy their you know freedom to get married or have a house or anything else but there's no desire to do that because there's so much money now that's been pumped into the system um and that financial institutions have become dependent on it the global economy has become dependent on it too it's like like the medical industry i don't see any effort to readjust that well right my next but i mean in this particular case Let's kind of stay on target. Uh, I get, I get the part. I don't, I don't think Biden really attempted to get Congress to do it. He wants it to be a magnanimous thing for him to his voters. 
But if but if you and I were in there and say, okay, we really want Congress to fix this, and they just don't, I suspect that you and I are going to try and find a way to do it ourselves from the executive side. Because we're not. I mean, if we see, I think we both agree that it's an egregious problem. Okay, and that and it ought to be fixed by Congress, maybe with some help or back and forth. You want to call help from the executive branch or some advice or give and take. And if the Congress just says, screw it, we like it the way it is because, you know, we got lobbyists from this guy and that guy pouring money in our back pocket, somebody has to do something, I guess is the question. It's one branch versus two branches. So if the executive branch takes on the, the, the legislature and then the judiciary uh, rules in, in favor of the legislature or whatever, I mean, that's already settled. They'd have to come up with something new. Well, I'm just saying it. The, the only, only way I see anything like, 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 you know, something new would be is if there really is a successful effort to get people to just renege on their payments so that when the moratorium is lifted this fall, nobody makes their payments en masse. And I, I just don't see that. I don't know if it's going to be like the Bud Light boycott. Well, one, uh, of, my, one of my buddies here in the building, he, he does uh, remodeling work and stuff for people. And uh, I recommended him, you know, anyway, these people hired him. And I, and I don't ask these questions, but somehow he got in a conversation with him because his kid's in school and so forth. And the, the two people, it's a husband and wife, they told him that they, they, they don't think they'll ever be able to pay off their student loans. And neither one of them is making enough to make a... They're never going to be able to send like a $40,000 check to knock it down to a reasonable part where they can start paying it off. They're, you know, And then they think they'll, they'll never be able to own a home. And never be able to get a new car because these student loan debts. It's not like they're making two hundred grand a piece. It's not like you went to Harvard Law School with it and you're working for schmo, schmo, and schmo, making half a million a year. I mean, it, how many people countrywide are, are are like that, John? It was never intended to be like that. No, and how many people will ever get a job that they thought they were training themselves for with all the student debt? So it's just um, the only way, only way it's going to happen is if the financial wing of this, you know, the the, the people who are collecting the interest, the, the, the ones who look the other way when all these crazy notes were being signed, if they get hurt or damaged in some way and they get behind some kind of change or concession um, that will satisfy them, they'll be the one driving the bus. You know, it's not going to be any any student group or any parent yeah, I mean, or anybody remember, in Congress either. You remember when we had a had we still have a, a buddy from college who's a couple years younger than us he was Kevin's class first name was Mike uh, but since there were so many Mikes everybody had a nickname so he was Ro 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 short for Rotund because he was a little heavy which <laughs> which today Greg he wouldn't he would be considered thin you know in those days everybody was thin so he was it's not three bills no well now now you got to be hell I mean I, I could stand to lose a few pounds if I ever want to feel skinny I just go to Wisconsin State Fair I mean it's it, it's you know it's out of but anyway so uh, Roe is an attorney. It's a middle, middle law firm. And Jan, he says this girl walks in, and she says, very well-dressed, attractive, very well-spoken, and she just got her law degree. And she went to some, you know, like Michigan undergrad and, I don't know, Yale grad for law school or something. She owed, she goes, she owed like 450 And he goes, this is a few years ago. He says, we... we uh, really wanted her because I mean she had a, she did really well at all those places had a great personality and seemed like she's a hard worker uh, he says we we didn't hire her and I go how come he goes 
all we could pay her was like a hundred or a hundred a quarter and we knew she couldn't service the debt at that number and we really didn't want her working as a hostess or a stripper on weekends for extra dough so we, we essentially said we're not hiring you he goes i felt terrible but he goes i don't see how the hell she could have worked for us and had any kind of a life because she owed so much now i don't know if that's discrimination or not or it's just common sense or what it is but the uh i you know there's there's a lot of that going on i don't, I don't know what would you do if you're even if you offered somebody a, a you know a buck and a quarter a year and you knew they owed like 400 grand well, I, I feel I was inviting trouble if this yeah. person was going to be working anywhere near petty cash or signing the checks or anything else. I couldn't trust them not to be tempted to, to, to rob me blind. You know, it's part of the blame, much of the blame, I would say now, Tom, isn't going to you know be talked very much about, but it's the universities and their expansionist efforts and their MBA, you know, culture that has sought to maximize. You know their revenues, and they've offered worthless degrees ad nauseum. They've hired adjunct faculty for nothing, practically, to teach these courses, and they give you know their students sheepskins that don't enable them to go out and get a job at Wendy's. And those are the sorts of of habits that are so baked into the system now, and that have been driving the whole financial aid industry. But people who have no reason to college, people who have, who have no foreseeable benefit out of going to college, have been going to college, and it's just assumed that this is the right thing to do, and the, the colleges have encouraged it and benefited from it tremendously. I don't know what's going to change their thinking about this unless the, you know, the spigot for financial aid starts to tighten up a little bit, because this has just encouraged a lot of bad college well, I'm on training. A, I know most of the people on the show, and I agree with most of my most things, I'm on, a, I'm on a totally opposite end of this, Jen. I honestly think that if if I really felt that I learned a boatload at Notre Dame, not only about dealing with people, living with people, in class, I remember just about all my classes, I really thought that I, I, there's been, I've taken some something of every single one of them, well, maybe not psychology or something, or something. <laughs> what was the stuff we had, to, we had to take two theologies and two psychology? Or philosophies. Philosophies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I took much from those, or maybe I did. It's very subliminal. Uh, but by and large, I thought it was absolutely, if, if, if I had a kid uh, or, or several kids, I don't care if they wanted to be welders. I would I would pay the three grand we were paying at the time to say, okay, you can be a welder when you're 21, but go, go learn something. So at least when people are talking about anything, you don't feel like you don't belong in the room. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a, a fairly educated welder or whatever you are. But somehow or another it got to this bizarre thing where it's not three grand a year, it's 70. And oh, by the way, the reason why you're going there is because it's really a vocational school because you're going to make 100 because I paid the 70, where if I don't pay the 70, you're going to make 30 as a welder. How, how that ever became the case, John, I have no idea. But I don't ever disparage education. And whenever somebody says, uh, you're going to school, and uh, to be perfectly blunt, you had what, an English major? Yeah, and at least I you know, had minimum requirements to get a degree in English. Yeah. Which, you know, nowadays it's possible to get a degree in English and not read you know, anything written before 1950, but that, but that, let alone Shakespeare. But, I mean, but that's, that's what makes you, 
in a lot of ways what what you are an intelligent person right but i wouldn't be get i couldn't i don't know if i could get the education that got at notre dame in 1970 well that's another issue i mean uh, from yeah. notre dame today in, in two, well that, am that i the only one that thinks it's still a good payoff to do it anyway well it, 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 in some areas it is like in accounting or engineering it certainly is well even if you go to the top tier law schools i mean that's the difference between you know 125 or whatever in like 30 well, so that, you can that, make that up within well, that, five years. No, that's another societal problem. We, 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 well, uh, it's well, the market. That's what it is. Well, my point so, is, 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 is a law firm. I should get my buddy. Well, does it make sense to take on the debt if you can well, get into a top ten law school? Yeah, it's it's the idea that if you're schmo, schmo, and schmo, and and you're a rookie law student and you're from Harvard, I can bill you out at three fifty if you don't know anything. But it's pretty hard to, to bill somebody out from Kent at three fifty their first year. So, you're, you're you're essentially you're John. How can I say this? You're lazy. You're you're paying up for the Harvard selection process, thinking that you're getting. That's a the G- whole college yeah, thing. Yeah. That's that's college in a nutshell. It's a messaging. Um, Tom, I noticed when I was teaching and serving on hiring committees, how few candidates, say for an English position, at a community college, have read any literature at all. And I'm, I'm, I agree in theory with what you're saying, that education is a good thing, but let's keep, keep track of what education really means. It doesn't mean filling up a curriculum with courses that are thin with content. Right, and, but, you know, but your, parents, your parents or my parents, they never said, at the, at the price we were paying, they never said, hey, Tom, what the hell are you doing in, in arts and letters economics? Why aren't you in accounting where you walk out of there as a CPA and you got a job? Your parents never said the same thing to you. At the price level, it was, it was, it was okay for education. It it, it wasn't considered really a. I mean, obviously, if you're in pre-med or something, it just was a different mentality. Now, if it was seventy grand a year, our parents probably would have felt the same way. Hey, what are you doing? Right. right. I mean, why why aren't you becoming a CPA first or something like that, or a pre-med or something? But, but I read an interesting piece not long ago, Tom, that one of the killers, you know, in the quality of education, college education anyway, was the Vietnam War, because the the drive to get the ferments, oh yeah, you know, fueled just an explosion of college applicants, who in in other times would not have considered it, but it was it was your only ticket out of serving in a war that people at least. Well, it also caused. It also caused when uh when, when Greg when when I when Jan and I were young. If you went into a Chicago public school, uh, there were like they would, all there were were women, right, John? I mean, I don't, was there any guys teaching? There might have been a few, but not not very many. All of a sudden, if you became a teacher, it was a deferment. And all these all these guys that had no intention of teaching third grade or fourth grade, all of a sudden were teachers, right, John? Right. My last couple of years when I was doing the Chicago public school janitor thing when I was in grad school, all of a sudden all these young guys were there. They about as much business there as I as I did I would on a you know being a jockey, I mean, they they were they were just putting in the time right and they were nowhere near the same as the as the older ladies who used to be teachers that knew what they were doing. Mm. I mean I I thought I mean I'm sure some of them were pretty good but anyway SP futures down four and SP futures up five. Come back we'll have uh, Nancy and talk about some uh, mortgages and what's going on there. Janet you can hang on it'd be great. Uh, Greg you can hang as well. SP like I say SP futures down four. We're doing nothing here this morning. Uh, we're out of here at 12 o'clock, so if you're going to trade, trade fast. We'll be right back. Stacks and Jacks. 
make you wealthy. Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas, and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with their choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howe. front of the board, SP Futures down four, and NASDAQ Futures up three. Not much going on here, except we've got uh, Tesla way up. It's up 16 bucks, as they evidently... Uh, Sold more cars than people thought they, that, that uh, report came out the other day. But now we're on a Monday, so it's the first time you could trade it. Over in Europe, we've got a DAX down 16.1%, FTSE up 18.2%, Kek around up 5.1%. Over in Asia, we've got the, uh, these guys are railing pretty big. Nikkei up 564, 1.7%, Hang Seng up 390, it's 2%. Same 2% they lost last week, but they're, they're back up over 19,000, 19,306. Shanghai up 41, 1.3, so 
finally get a pretty solid rally out of Europe. They've been they've been dragging compared to everybody else. Uh, on Friday, Dow was up 285, S&P up 53, Nasdaq up 196. So we finished the quarter like really strong, like in really strong. Uh, bonds up three basis points, two 3.85 as we, we're creeping up towards this uh, four four percent. I don't know if we, every time we get up here though we come back the other way. A bond up five basis points, 2.44. Japan unchanged 0.41. We've got oil. Up a little bit, up 73 cents. Well, it's more to a full 1%. 71.37, Brent up 60 cents, 76.04. Natural gas down 8 cents, 271. Arabob unchanged at 254. We've got gold down 770, back a little bit. It was down 10 earlier, the 1921. Uh, silver down 2 cents, 22.99. Again, every time silver gets down, it's 22.50 number. It, it has been a buy. Uh, doesn't mean it will be the next time it gets down there, but it has been a buy. Uh, copper up two cents, three seventy-six. We've got Bitcoin up seventy-eight, thirty thousand six twenty-nine, and the U.S. dollar muted, muted slightly, slightly up uh, with the with the British pound down fourteen basis points. But I'm going to say it's unchanged. Uh, Matt, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. Yeah, good morning, everyone. It is uh, currently seven thirty-seven a.m. on July third, twenty twenty-three. Uh, the weather in Chicago right now, currently 66 degrees, a high of 82 degrees today. Sunny skies throughout the day. Tomorrow we're expecting sunny skies as well, with a high of 90. Down in Phoenix, though, clear skies, 87 degrees right now, a high of 112 later on. In the MLB yesterday, Cubs lost 8-6 to to Guardians. White Sox beat Athletics 8-7. to And Diamondbacks lost to Angels 5-2. to and of course, yesterday in the Chicago street race, Shane Van Ginsburg from New Zealand wins the, his, his uh, very first NASCAR Cup Series at the Grant Park 220. From CBS Sports in an article by Stephen Toronto, uh, quote, Van Gisbergen becomes the first driver in NASCAR's modern era to win his Cup Series debut, something that had not happened since all the way back in 1963 with Johnny Rutherford at Daytona 1963. Yeah, that's all for now, Chief. Back that's to you. Like, that's like one of the first golf tournament you're in. I know, yeah. How do you, how do you even do that? It's pretty amazing. Do we have Nancy? We do indeed. Nancy, how are you? Happy 4th? Happy 4th of July. How are you? How are you, John? Good. Happy 4th, Nancy. Same to you guys. Were you out running around? Uh, did you spend five grand on, uh, on uh, stuff to blow up? No, I did not, sir. Mm-mm. I didn't think My poor would. little doggies couldn't take it I if I did. Your, your doggies wouldn't like that so much. The, uh, yeah, it's uh, unfortunate. Yeah, the uh, I gotta believe some of the fireworks displays are probably tonight, huh? I would guess. Uh, I think they've been going on every night. I mean, Ridge Country Club had theirs last night. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I happened to wander into Mount Greenwood, and um, the, a lot of the streets are partially were partially flooded. So, oh god, yeah, yeah. Well, eight inches, eight were, inches of rain will do that. Yeah, and uh, the kids were. Outside, when I left, waiting for um, all facing Ridge. You know, it's it's so cute. We um, used to we used to live. Uh, I grew up. Well, we moved end up moving someplace else. But all through grammar school, we were on 102nd place, which was an odd spot because we were never going to park. Uh, 103rd, and uh, the other side of the street was Chicago. So our wow. porch, our porch faced. There's 102nd place house. Alley, not an alley, but a house, a house, 103rd Street, and then there was Ridge Country Club. So every 
3rd of July, we'd, all we do is get out on the porch, sit down, and there it was. <laughs> they have a right, it was a great show. It never had, it never even had a walk across the street. You know, it was right there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's sitting on your front porch. So it was one of the nicest things about living on that particular block was, because Ridge always has a, a night, uh, uh, a real nice show. And, uh, you know, it uh, was, was pretty cool. So uh, what, what's going on in the uh, the mortgage world? I don't know if you've been listening in, in any of the shows, but even not it, not in not on the shows, having this constant well, it's I don't think it's ever been easier, uh, Jan or Nancy, for me to look both directions, uh, and and whichever whatever argument you care to make about whether things are good, the economy's okay. You can make it on a, on a nominal level because of the money that's in the system. I think I could easily say that God, this is great. Look at the amount of money being spent on this and that, and blah blah blah. And or the other way, you can look at people that whatever is being spent, they all of a sudden can't make ends meet because everything they do is getting more and more expensive. And and hopefully the next five years, hopefully the salaries will go up more than the expenses. But I don't hold out any hope for that. But the last five years clearly that was not the case and I I think one of the biggest f- fulcrums of this whole mess is the business you're in Nance is either either people are going to be able to hang in here at their current jobs the people with the three percent mortgages and not have any life-changing event or something's going to happen a recession where people get laid off and they're all forced to move and I think we're talking about a massive goat bleep I mean, I uh, was talking to somebody the other night in the, the series, and he says, what are you talking about? Everything's great. I've got my mortgage at 3%. doesn't cost me that much to live. I've been there for eight years or whatever. I refinance down. I get a salary every year. I mean, he works for one of the firms that still provides uh, stuff to the floor. So he's doing really well. He goes, it's great. What, what, what do you, where, where's, who's not doing well? <laughs> well Jesus. But there, there is really a, a line of demarcation here. Nance, I think, uh, what's going to, are we going to get out of this alive, I guess, economically alive, I guess is my question. We're all going to live through it. It's not, it's not going to be ideal, but we're going to live through it. I mean, we're going to have to figure a way to get through it. I just hope to God that um, people are not going to move. I hope that people you know, we're Americans. We we usually, you know, we used to have morals. Um, we elected people who cared enough to make sure we were all okay. I, I mean, those some of those other things have to come into play to right, make right. sure that we're all, we're all going to be, you know, okay. But I I just think that when times get tough, we get tougher. Well, I- now then that's in that's in like my generation. I can't sit and say what the new generation is going to do because I I think these kids have it a little bit better. They don't know hard times because their parents haven't let them because they wanted it better for them than they had it. But I I do believe that it's it's going to be okay. People are going to stay where they're at, and ninety two percent of Americans have mortgages of four percent or under. And that, and I got, and that's I got a, that from a um, uh, Freddie Mac employee. So, I mean, if that's the case, we should be fine. Well, it, it, except can't run up a ton of debt. Yeah, I just the thing that I don't I don't see anything that'd be really neat if we just got away from it. But the the numbers are 
last week, in fact, you're the one who did this to me. Uh, when you were talking about, you and Audrey were talking about the, the, the two people who were trying to buy the one house that they were going to buy three years ago. Okay. And the, and the three years ago, I'm just, I, I actually went through the numbers of what you told me. John, I should never do that, right? Uh, they, they were looking to buy the place at 520 three years ago and didn't. And now they're looking to pay 560 with the mortgage rates instead of three to six and a half, hopefully. Yeah. Well, the difference in, uh, I had them at 17, 1800 three years ago. Now I got them at 3650. Plus, I'm going to say the home insurance is up at least 40%, maybe 50. And I'm going to say the taxes are up 35. So the difference in three years is probably gone from 2,500, I have 3,000 all in with, because uh, I'm saying the taxes and the homeowner's insurance are another 1,200 a month, uh, which could be wrong. And now now it's got to be six, 5,500. That's, those are real dramatic differences. And, and you're absolutely right. If everybody just, what they used to say in a, in a trading floor, keep your hands in the boat, don't rock the boat. You know, and if everybody's able to stay right in their job and they get their, you know, 5%, 6%, 10% raise every year, 10 be great. And all of a sudden, five years from now, they're still living there with the same mortgage from calculated from four years ago. That whole group is going to be fine. Yet the numbers keep piling. Someday, somewhere, somebody's going to have to move. And all the, the, the raises and the, and the uh, insurance and the taxes and stuff... Someday they're going to come home to roost, Nancy. And, and you're saying that if we just – I don't think there's any disagreement that if we can just prolong this for five to seven years, we'll kind of get out of it and wonder what the problem was. I I find that – same thing could have been said in 2007, but we didn't make it, did we? Well, we made it out of it. I well, mean, they but came some up with that crazy – you know, um, they come out with it and they came out with some kind of – the. Oh, God, what did they call it? It was a bailout where they took the mortgages down to 2% and added it on to your back end. And then they did the short sales. And then they didn't allow people to purchase. But it, so we we did get out of it in a way, okay? But it's it's what is the cost to everyone else? Well, we, when you say we got, you did, I did, because I was renting, and you know, and was doing pretty good at work. Uh, but that's... How many people that, that we collectively forget about lost their entire equity in their house and still probably have not recovered to this day? Well, there's always going to be that. I mean, until until America knows how to solve poverty, I'm not saying poor people, poverty. If you can solve the poverty problem and get the it by, I don't know, getting people to work, getting them to understand you're only going to live on so much. I don't know what the solution is, okay? I'm sure if we put three heads together, we could come up with something, right? at least a plan but getting someone to execute their plan and work the plan who knows but anyways if you if you just realize that the poverty issue is is just what it is and not everyone is in that boat will be okay but there's always going to be some i mean so i believe that they'll, they'll come up with something rather than let the whole housing market collapse like, I've been in my house, what, 30, 37 or 38 years, so, I mean, I'm going to be okay. I'm sure there's people 
like me, I'm sure there's, but the, 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 if people start losing their jobs, one of them, that might still be okay, but two, I don't think so. Yeah. And like in your story there, then the, the people just don't buy it again. Well, it, it is sort of interesting, and, and Jan, you can opine in on this, is, is how even, even as you in that market, and this is, this is a, a, human, a human thing, um, you, you, you forget whenever there's any kind of anything painful, you essentially you try and forget it, right? Right? <laughs> as time goes by, and you don't realize how bad it might have been at the time. Um, I was I was doing the show with John, and I was going through all these numbers back in those days, not to relive them, but an incredible amount of people got stripped of their entire balance sheet. It wasn't an income. That is correct. I mean, that you know, we're talking about a house that you put. Fifty grand down on, you paid two thirty-five for it, and you had to move, and all of a sudden you got one sixty-five for it, and 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 you left. I mean, uh, it was either the money you got from your parents or the money you saved up. It was a now have those people come back? Are they living somewhere? Are they still working? Well, yeah, but it, it's not. You don't get your balance sheet stripped like that, and 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 really live to tell about it anytime soon. Right, I mean, it's, it takes you a well, long you time. Get, you know, you may not get the wealth back that you once had. I mean, you know what I mean. But there's got to be a solution for this. Yes. Um, one that will be created by someone or something, or you know, God only knows what. Don't you agree, John? I mean, history we always seem to somehow get out of it. Yeah, well, you know, and you're right. We did, you know, survive to, you know, to tell about what happened in 2007, 2008. We're still here today. There's something different, though, that, that I see happening now that's got real implications for who winners and losers are likely to be over the long haul. And that's this geographic displacement of people, which wasn't such a phenomenon back then. Um, now you've got people who, if they can afford to move, if you know, they've got a pension or they've got a job that you know they can take with them somehow, um, you, you see people fleeing these high-tech states like New York and Illinois huge numbers. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Th those are the people who I would put sort of at the top of the prosperity scale in that they've got some freedom to do whatever they want and they're not going to take a big enough financial hit to, to do this, to just uproot themselves. But for the people left behind who are not so secure, they're left holding a much bigger bag of tax liability and the, the price of fiscal mismanagement that's just spiraling out of control in some of these states. And you've got some real states that will be winners and states that will be losers. And I think it's going to amplify a lot of the inequality that has always been everywhere. Right. Um, and there's always been winners and losers and people win bigger or lose bigger than others. But I think that it's now got demographic like weight behind it such that the country is really changing. And I don't know that it's in a good way. I think it's becoming much more polarized and economically divided, and it's going to make it harder for the for the losing end of it to keep up, and it's going to make you know it harder to run a national government with this kind of disparity amongst people. That I would agree with. I mean, it, you're never going to change what you just said. I mean. I totally agree with everything you said. I mean, this is just not what anybody wants, but it's happening. Well, Nancy, I, mean, I, so. I, I think, and again, I'm kind of beating this up. I started the show maybe beating it up a little bit too, but it's it's one thing. I mean, I was just saying how, how difficult it is now to even talk to people 
to try and figure out how the country's doing. Because at whatever level you're talking about, and it's to me, on the economic side, being the monetarist, which I never sh- should have gone to that school and become one of these guys, uh, if you look at the amount of money in the system, any, any gross number that you look at is going to say we're doing okay. Because there's money in the system and a lot of people are spending a lot of dough. Uh, but the question is, even if you look back, I mean, the, the, the Nancy's of the world, who's a fighter and has always made it, made it the next day is always a good day. Uh, people like you are the backbone of the place. But, but if you look back at even the Resolution Trust, if you want to go back to when we were young, we, whoever we is, and as they used to say in the trading floor, who's we? You got a mouse in your pocket? Uh, we, we got out of it okay, right? I mean, I was not involved in that stuff. I mean, neither were you. Uh, but if you look at, if you, don't ever look at the detail, because if you do, you find out that it, an, an incredible, because of, you know, the incompetence of the Fed and what they did, and I'm just, we're talking 1978, uh, or, and the incompetence of the Fed, an amazing amount of, of people's hard-earned wealth through no fault of their own, ended up in the hands of other people at a real big discount than the, what they paid. It was a massive change of wealth from one person to another. And, uh, and this last time, how many people were able to buy other people's houses at 165 that they paid 235 for because they couldn't get a new mortgage because it didn't appraise out, right, man? I mean, you were part of that. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you, you're right. We collectively made our way out of it. But if you dig down into who the we's are, a lot of we's didn't, you know. And I'm, I just don't want to see that happen again. And I, I kind of see it coming. Well, I'm gonna say I, I would agree with you that there's a huge, huge possibility that we are. I mean, we are definitely, in my opinion, headed in that direction. I mean, but the, you know, right now I am extremely slow because nobody is moving one way or the other. Back in 2008, 2009, when they came up with these, you know, hardship program, um, it, what really accelerated at time was everybody jumped in who didn't yeah. have to, just because they wanted to get a lower rate. You know, I don't, I don't recall anybody, really anybody in that whole time frame. Man, I'm surprised didn't look around enough. That ended up, ended up in their own, in their own house. I don't know of anybody who really got helped. The other people tell me there are all kinds of people who got helped. I don't know of anybody who did. No, I do. I know some people that got like, I do know some people who did get two percent mortgages, um, things of those natures from you know the loans that were owned by Fannie and Freddie. You got to remember the loans that were owned by Wall Street. The the, the stuff the government came out with, with that um, HARP program. Yeah. If you weren't, if your your loan wasn't owned by Fannie or Freddie, which was the government, and it was owned by Wall Street, Wall Street did nothing for these people. They're the ones that really got hurt. Okay. So that's number one. Number two, these people are the the few that I do know that actually got it. They are still in their homes, so I really don't know what their payoff would be if they went to sell it. Really? Because I, I'm not sure what the back end is for them. But sometimes ignorance is just great. It's bliss because they're not worried about it and they're happy. Well, yeah, I guess as long as you if you're going to carry it out feet first, you don't care, huh? Right, you don't care. So it it just works. So some of what we're talking about, the answers lie ahead. Yeah. But we don't know what they're going to be or how bad it's going to be until they actually go to use it. 
So and you're, they actually go to sell and retire and think they really are going to move off to wherever it is they want to go, you know. And then they're going to find out, well, gee, this is your payoff. And, oh, by the way, here's the here's what happened to your, you know, from the, the ram of in, unintended consequences of having this heart blown. Well, so you're, you're if you if I could put your thoughts into, into uh, some words here, you're saying if we manage to hang in there and get some people with some raises, the economy stays together for another two, three, four years for sure, we might be pretty much out of this mess, just about everybody. You know, that I, I wish I knew, but, I mean, we have to take that attitude. What other one is there well, we, we could do that. We could, we could do that. I don't know. I don't know if we can hang in seven years or anything like that, but I think we can hang in two or three. Yeah, I think I think we're okay for another two or three because people still have their credit cards; they can run up debt to crazy. Well, have you guys gotten letters from your credit card companies saying that they're going to raise rates back up to twenty nine point nine percent? Uh, I have I have not, but uh, I don't I don't really I don't carry. Matter of fact, um, um, you're a friend and I, uh, Audrey. Pretty interesting, Jan. That uh, she has a, a group that's looking for house uh first time house buyers and uh she was having the discussion uh with them about if you buy a place i think the numbers were i mean whatever they were nance uh, 350 versus 275 and they could they can s- scrape their way into the 350 but it's it's move in ready you know it's not spectacular but probably needs a little updating but you can live there for 5 years before you spend a dime you know Type of thing. You, you maybe you want a new bathroom, but the, the, the bathroom works. Uh, versus a fixer upper at like two seventy five. Correct. And uh, I, know, I know what you're referring to. Uh, well, don't don't talk out of school, but but she was talking just the difference in interest rates between being able to pay, you know, even six and a half percent for a mortgage versus paying six and a, six and a half for the two seventy five. And then doing the seventy-five thousand dollars of remodeling, which you have to do just to live there, and doing that on a twenty-five percent credit card, and you're ending up with a place maybe of equal worth, maybe not even of equal worth, but now your your payments are are a lot different, and how you know essentially, I won't say foolish, but how you you don't you don't want to do that, you know you you want to if you can you want to have all all any debt you have should be on the mortgage at six and a half instead of. The improvements at twenty eight, correct. And, it was, and that's what that's, and I, what that's what skews the numbers. And I had never thought of that, but obviously you and Odd deal with that all the time. And you guys pointed that out. And yeah, I guess if you don't have the seventy five grand cash, is it possible to get a a, a loan these days for the whole three fifty? And and no, uh, see they won't mm-hmm. do that anymore. Okay, nobody does that. That's it. Uh, you know, maybe somebody does do that, but then you're not at the six and a half, and you're going to pay a much higher rate, and you're a bigger rate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's all going to even out to to be a whole different thing, and that's why we discussed it before. Um, we discussed it so that we knew how to, she knew how to explain it to the um, borrower, because when you're taking seventy five thousand out and you know credit card debt. Uh, that's hard to get, you know, that's very difficult to get rid of. When uh, John and I were arguing early, as we always do, about education, of course, Kevin and Mike keep texting in, taking John's side. No matter, figures that. Three against one, Nance, is the way this is. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, my question is, when you and I explain all this stuff to, to people, do most people understand what you're talking about? Uh, 
you know, you then you have to find a different way to make them hear what you're saying. I'm just trying you know, to make it a even if you got to go back, even if you got to go, and no matter what you have to do, you have to try and explain it. And if you ask them if they understand and they say yes, then you try and answer, ask a follow up question. So in the beginning, do they understand it? No. Hopefully, by the time you're done, do they understand it? You know, maybe to a yes. I mean, you have to. All they know is they can't spend more than this per month, or their you know financial advisor tells them they should only spend this, or their parents, or whatever, and that, and they that kind of clouds the issues. But everybody's going to do what they have to do. That's what I've in this new regiment of things that we have going on today. You know, not what's happened a year ago, or it's the, these kids are going to do what they think they have to do, right or wrong. They're going to take someone's advice and they're going to go for it. Well, I guess my. Uh final question Nancy hopefully I'll be seeing you uh, what I guess what, what is your view of the education level when you start talking interest rates and depreciation and stuff are, are, is everybody head bobbing with a glazed look in their eyes or do they understand what you're saying no no one understands what you're saying that's kind of scary I don't think so John do you think so no I I, just, I think that's a casualty of the last 30 or 40 years where there's just a, you know, a, a quickness to get to these realizations you know of, of what's really happening and people are, are pretty sluggish at that now they've never been trained in this way they, it's never been talked about at home it seems they don't think about it in terms that you and I and Tom do and I, I'm, I'm very much afraid that that's got a real penalty attached to it where these people are, are going to be just you know taken advantage of every step of the way at some point uh, yeah, I, Nance John, I is, John is harumphing because he thinks he's the only one that could have passed the 1911 eighth grade test out of Kentucky. Well, that's all right. I love those questions. Does he? Does he come? Is he going to be like Outlander, where he comes back and forth and visits? God, I, you, you weren't listening to the show. That I was reading these, these things off, Nance, and Kevin had the world's greatest line. There was a lot of questions about the War of 1812, right? Of course, I don't know much about War of 1812. So Kevin writes in: If you ask kids today. What year the War of eighteen twelve was? They'd all they'd all get the wrong answer. <laughs> that would be that could be that could be pretty scary. Well, it couldn't be eighteen twelve. Why would they? Why would they? Well, they know if they had their phone with them, Tom. That I, would be the thing. God, Nance, thank you very much. See you. Thanks, Dad, guys. You take care Happy of yourself. Hopefully, I'll yeah. see you this week. Happy Fourth, Matt, guys. thank you very much. Happy Fourth, everybody. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Used to, but we have our ways. One trick is to tell them stories that don't go anywhere. Like the time I caught the ferry over to Shelbyville, I needed a new heel for my shoe. So I decided to go to Morganville, which is what they call Shelbyville in those days.
So I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. Now, to take the ferry cost a nickel, and in those days, nickels had pictures of bumblebees on them. Give me five bees for a quarter, you'd say. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah. The important thing was that I had an onion on my belt.